Welcome, folks, to another edition of Opinions All Day. And this week, I will be covering the Milwaukee Bucks fired head coach Adrian Griffin and hired Doc Rivers. Why Jason Tatum is not even close to Kobe Bryant. I am sick and tired of Boston Celtics fans trying to shove Jason Tatum down our throats. He's overrated. The Boston Celtics are overrated. I'm going to triple and quadruple down on this later on. Kevin Durant made some interesting comments regarding the greatest of all time conversation and why he's not included in it. Because of the sports media, we will get into that. And later on, why the Lakers should avoid trading for Zach Levine. I've heard that name thrown out a million times. Zach Levine is not a winning player. But I start off the show with the obvious. With the big story of the week. Jim Harbaugh is the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I have been repeating this over and over again, dating back to even before the season, that Jim Harbaugh, if Brandon Staley and that stupid regime the previous regime fell off the tracks, got derailed, started losing games, crapped out. That Jim Harbaugh was the obvious decision. He was the go-to choice to elevate this franchise. And guess what? Everyone said, everyone in the sports media said that the Chargers had no chance of landing Jim Harbaugh. I heard for for weeks that the Commanders somehow were a better job. I heard the Raiders were even a better job. I heard that even the Falcons were a better job. And the Falcons don't even have a quarterback. I heard all these teams were better jobs than the Chargers. And that Jim Harbaugh was not going to go to the Chargers. That he was even going to go back to college. No. No. All that was a bunch of BS. And the media is triggered. Some folks in media... Can't believe it. They can't believe the Chargers got a real coach and they are still going to dismiss it. But guess what? Their day is coming. Their day of reckoning and their day when they realize the Chargers are a serious franchise and that we are going to take over the AFC West. Get ready. Because this isn't Anthony Lynn. 
This isn't Mike McCoy. This isn't Norv Turner. This isn't Brandon Staley. This isn't Mike Riley. These are. This is not some, you know, just some dude off the street, some whiz kid, nobody knows coordinator. This is Jim freaking Harbaugh. And I got to give the Spanos family credit to begin with. Because after that debacle, after Brandon Staley's last act against the Raiders, when we got demolished 63-21, he said, the Spanos, uh, Dean Spanos said that they were going to redo how they operated, how they searched for a head coach, and they did it. They went out and did it. They followed the process. They did what they had to do. They met the Rooney Rule requirements, and boom, Jim Harbaugh, a few weeks later, is the head coach. And according to all the reports, he was pretty much their only option. Sure, all these big media people that got the pick wrong that said the Chargers should hire Eric Bieniemy or Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel or whatever. No. Jim Harbaugh loves Justin Herbert and wants to coach the Chargers, and they got it done. The Spanos family finally got out of their own way. They love in the like like they loved in the past of having control over the program, over the franchise, not letting football people make football um, people decisions. Instead, they loved to interfere. They, they loved. They loved having a controlling asset as the head coach, Mike McCoy. They can tell him what to do. Like, Mike McCoy doesn't have a backbone. Mike McCoy is not a strong minded person, not an individual person that can coach a team on his own. Anthony Lynn, not strong enough. Team was disorganized every single week. It was a mess. We led the league in our punts getting blocked, our kicks getting blocked. We were horrendous. Not prepared. Offense line, dead last in the league in 2020. No one talks about that. Justin Herbert put up rocket ship numbers up. No one said a word. Behind a crappy offensive line, but Joe Burrow, you know, gets praised like the Egyptians and that he's the next big thing and that he's the next next kid on the the new cool kid on the block. Blah 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 blah. Go I mean, it's just stop it. People need to get over themselves that the Chargers hired a real coach. This isn't some loser on the street. Jim Harbaugh is what football is all about. It's about running the freaking football. And it's about playing defense. Two things this team, the last couple of years, I mean, longer than that, can't do. Ever since LT went out the door, the Chargers have not been consistent enough of running the football. Well, guess what? Jim Harbaugh is going to come in, and he, we're going to run the damn ball. 
we are going to do it. And it's not going to be with Austin Eckler. It's not going to be with him. Some bad apples that are not all in on winning are going to be out the door. It's about bringing in, and I've talked about it every damn week. When I come on here and talk about the Chargers, I talk about how this team doesn't have a winning mentality. Well, Jim Harbaugh brings a winning mentality, and in order to play with him, you have to have a winning mentality. He's all about winning. If you don't want to win, you're not going to be here. You're not going to be here, and you shouldn't be here. If you're not all in, if you're not both feet in the door, you're not going to be here. This is not the good old days with country, um, you know, country club feelings. No, this is not a country club. This is not a place where you hang out with friends. This is a place where you come and get your shit done and bring your lunch pail to work. You're going to dominate your opponent. You're not going to come in and roll over and play dead when, when the top quarterbacks in the league come in here to, to play against us. That's not what we're going to do anymore. We're going to smack we're, we're going to punch you in the mouth. We're going to set the tone. We're going to tell you how the game is going to be, not the other way around. That BS is over with. That's no longer going to be the standard. Not anymore. And seeing all these media people just triggered, just flabbergasted, just shocked that Jim Harbaugh chose the Chargers is just amazing for me. It made this week so great. It made it so great. It really did. There's nothing better than seeing people melt down and not have any words for what's happening. They can't believe it. They can't get over themselves that Jim Harbaugh didn't go to the commanders. Because I heard some stupid reasons. I heard because Magic Johnson is a part of the ownership team. What the fuck does the commanders have that's better than the Chargers? I mean, seriously. Sam Howell? Is that what you're selling me? They don't have anyone. Who the fuck do the Raiders have? The JV Raiders. Who do they have that's better than who the Chargers have? It's not quarterback. Not running back. Not receiver. If anything, it's a tie. What, Devontae Adams? Everyone else? No, I've taken Joshua Palmer, maybe. I mean, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, they're pretty damn good, too. We have to see who who's coming back and not. But, you know, I'm going to take whoever we have over who the Raiders have because guess who the Raiders? The JV Raiders brought in. Oh, look at that. Old, good old, lucky Tommy Telesco. <laughs> and the Raiders are a better job. Freaking kidding me. The Commanders, who don't even have a freaking name. They've changed their name three times in three years. 
yeah, that, that that's the job, Jim Harbaugh, because it's close to Baltimore. Like, what the hell? We're playing some simple, some just ridiculous mental gymnastics. <laughs> and people just can't can't deal with it. Can't deal with it. Oh, he'll go back to college. You don't want to go to the NFL. Guess what? He stepped right into the AFC West. He's not afraid of Sean Payton. It's going to give him a couple of weeks, and he'll start trash-talking Sean Payton. Jim can't help himself. He'll start trash-talking Andy Reid. He'll start trash-talking Antonio Pierce. We're not trying to be anyone's friend. We're not the Broncos' friend. Fuck the Broncos. Same to the Chiefs. We're not the... We're, we, screw the Chiefs. We're not rooting for them. We're not their friend. Same for the Broncos. Screw every single one of them. Screw everyone else in the AFC. Everyone else in the AFC better damn watch out. Because we hear about all these other teams, hear about the Bengals, hear about the Broncos. I mean, oh my gosh. Could you, I lost track how many times I thought the Broncos were going to go to the Super Bowl if Russell Wilson told you he was washed. Hmm. Told you that. Who, who said that? I wonder, who, I wonder who the hell said that. Who said that? Oh, it's the guy on this show. Oh, my bad. Maybe, maybe I just need to quit spitting facts so much. So the Broncos, they were supposed to be good. Oh, did they did they make the playoffs? I'm still listening. Hmm. No. Raiders, no, thank you. They hired Antonio Pierce. That just made me tickle inside. Thank you very much for hiring Antonio Pierce. And the Chiefs. Everyone acts like they're just a big bad wolf on the side of the road or on the corner. No, they're not. No, they're not. Their offense is not good enough. And yes, but they've been squeaking by with close wins. We saw the Vikings last year do that. We sent a lot of teams in the past get away with squeaky wins. And then they fall apart. They start to decline. Not saying that Chiefs are going to fall apart, but just but this fantasy story, this fairy tale, that this is the same team that we have the same type of Chiefs team that we have seen in the past couple of years is a bunch of BS. It's a bunch of bullshit. And everyone knows it is. They're not the same team. So this idea that Jim Harbaugh can't come in, reset the foundation, bring in his people, his football people, which we'll get to in a minute here, and not change the culture, not elevate this team, is a, is an idiot. If you don't believe that he can, if you don't believe that he can come in and change the narrative of the Los Angeles Chargers, then you're dumb. Then you should be banned from talking football ever again. Then you legitimately... Do not know what the hell you're talking about. That's just it. I mean, th- th- that's just it. It is. And I've heard a lot of stupid people talk this week 
about the Chargers. Oh, we bring up the cap situation instead of the cap situation. Oh, <laughs> you didn't even think they were going to even get an interview with Jim Harbaugh. And guess what? They freaking hired him. He's our coach. Get over it. Because it's a new day. It's a brand new day. And it's a beautiful day to watch the Chargers transform into a tough franchise. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see the Chargers come in and be physical. We're not going to play this game anymore of blowing big leads. We're not going to get run off the field anymore. We're not going to get bullied. We're not going to show up in big games and have our tail between our legs. We're not going to do anymore. Not anymore. No more 27-0 leads. No more blowing playoff games. No more blowing leads. That train stops right here and right now. It all ends. That's what's going to happen. And that's the type of mentality that Jim Harbaugh brings to the table. No more giving up 38 points to freaking Tua. No more getting lit up by Ryan Tannehill. No more giving up a quadrillion yards to freaking Kirk Cousins. No more close games with the overrated, stupid JV Raiders. No more losing to Dak Prescott. No more getting blown off the field by the Chiefs. No more, no more of it. No more games where Jared Goff comes in looking like he's on fire. No. No more losing the Jer- to Jordan Love. No more getting run off the field by the Ravens. No more close games of Bill Belichick and the crappy diarrhea express of the game it was when we play the Patriots 6 nothing. None of that. We're going to be the more physical team. That's what's going to happen. So people in the media get ready for it. And the reason why I'm hammering down so hard on this is because as I said leading up to Jim Harbaugh getting hired I heard so many people say that this wasn't a good job. And and to me, that is the biggest bunch of BS. You're going to tell me a team of Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, depending on how he looks coming back from injury. When he's not hurt, he's really, really good. You're going to tell me a team with Asante Samuel Jr., who I believe can still play, Duran James, who can still play. That's not a good team to build around. And then Jim Harbaugh's ability to draft. His ability to turn around programs. Anyone who believes that he can't do it here with the Chargers is a dumbass. A legitimate dumbass. What he did with the 49ers. The 49ers were not some stocked stacked football team because we've we've been doing a great job some folks of doing some serious changing of history revising of history that is totally 
totally wrong. Colin Kaepernick and and Alex Smith are not two great quarterbacks. Now people are trying to make it sound like those two were great. No, they're not. They're not great. When were they great? Name me a time when Alex Smith wasn't trying to be replaced. I mean, everywhere he's been, the teams have been trying to replace him. They Jim Arbaugh, I mean, in the middle of the 2012 season, when he got him to the Super Bowl, he said, uh, man, we need to change the quarterback. I mean, like, he's not good enough. Alex Smith is not a good enough quarterback. So they yanked him. In the middle of the year, Jim Harbaugh, it was controversial. Everyone was like, whoa, Alex, whoa, 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 what happened? Alex Smith was the quarterback. They put in Colin Kaepernick, of all people, out of all the quarterbacks in the world. I mean, you can sit there and laugh or whatever. I mean, I'm not going to get into the Colin Kaepernick discussion, but he got Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. He did it with defense and running the football. He did whatever was necessary to win. He doesn't stick to a scheme. His scheme is not his Bible. It is not the end-all, be-all. Like, like the world's not going to end if he doesn't you know, have his stupid scheme installed. We're not doing that anymore. That game's gone. He won, like, all he did, all, all Jim Harbaugh did with the 49ers was won games. 13-3, and 11-4, 12-4, NFC Championship games, Super Bowl appearances. And everyone talks about, oh, well, he doesn't stay anywhere long. He coached at the freaking University of San Diego. Won a bunch of games. Won a bunch of games at Stanford. Those are stepping stool programs. The 49ers job was very unique. He didn't have full control. He has full control with the Chargers. He's going to pick the GM. He's going to pick the offensive coordinator. He's going to pick the defensive coordinator. He's going to pick the coaching staff. And then he's going to do what he needs to do fill out the coaching staff, and and find the players that want to be here. Figure out who has a winning mentality. Who wants to come in and get their hands dirty and do the work. That's what Jim Harbaugh is going to do. That's the simple foundation that we needed to be set. We haven't gotten that with Mike McCoy. We didn't get that with Anthony Lynn. We didn't get that with Brand Staley. We are going to get that with Jim Harbaugh. And look what he did in Michigan. This is not going to be a... As long as the Spanos family doesn't step on his toes, doesn't get in the way, lets him do his damn job, then it should be fine. Then there's not going to be any issues. As your pro- and I, I will go ahead and predict this. I will go ahead and predict this. 
the media, some, not, not everyone, I, and listen, when I say media, I'm not saying everyone, it's a select few individuals on these four three-letter networks that just really can't help themselves. That can't help themselves. They've stuck on the players way too long. They had these hot takes that they got to stick to. They will, people, some folks will do their damnedest to rip down the Chargers and Jim Harbaugh. Even when we start winning, they're going to do it. Somehow the cap situation is going to be a part of the equation. I don't know how, but, you know, even though we've seen teams over and over again figure, figure out cap situations, it's not the end of the world. It's not like the Chargers are not going to have enough players to put on the damn field. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Can we we stop being stupid? Seriously. Like, what are we doing? Like, we can't be this dumb. You can't, like, like, how can you be that dumb? How can you be that dumb to not see what's going to take place here? The guy won games with freaking Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith. Won games at Stanford. Turned him into a borderline NFL program in college. Turned around Michigan. They were a dumpster fire. I mean, they had a bunch of a bunch of jokes at head coach the years before. He turned them around in year one. They won nine, ten games. And people were like, oh, I don't know, maybe five, seven wins. This dude's not a bump on a log. He's not some joke on the side of the road. It's freaking Jim Harbaugh. You're going to get a physical brand of football. That's what you're going to get. He's probably going to bring on Jesse Minter, his D coordinator from Michigan. Really, really damn good. We're going to have a great coaching staff. I mean, think about the guys that he's had on defense. Remember... He elevated Patrick Willis when he got there. Like, we're talking about a defense for the 49ers that was hard hitting. Look at the Ravens. The the, the Ravens are playing later on today. They're a physical football team. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go out there and copy the blueprint of the Ravens word for word and play for play. However it needs to look, however it needs to look, we need to run the ball and be physical on defense. I don't care how it looks. I don't, I don't care about the scheme. Everyone tries to get wrapped up and, Oh my gosh, gotta, gotta have the scheme. You gotta, you gotta jerk off to a, to a scheme. I don't care. I don't care. I could give two cents what the freaking scheme. I don't care. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter to me. Just go out there and freaking win the game. It's about winning. And the Chargers, there's no excuse for us to not to win. There's no excuse. With the team, the, with, with all the potential we have, it's there. Now we just need a head coach to take us places to elevate us. 
Because everyone talks about all, you know, all these Justin Herbert haters say that he's not good enough. Blah, 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 blah. It's just the sound of death every time I hear some of these idiots talk about Justin Herbert and the Chargers, how they're they're, going to suck. It's like, you're a dumbass. You're a legitimate dumbass. This idea that football is just comes down to one freaking player is ridiculous. So if the Chargers suck so much, they should trade Justin Herbert. So they should put in Aiden O'Connell at quarterback and they'll be better. Huh? That's weird. That's a little weird. The Justin Herbert hate to me is weird. It's a small cult over there in the corner of the room, that's a little weird. Especially coming from people that had shitty, below-average football careers. I mean, hey, I mean, if you're insecure, it is what it is. I mean, I wish you were better at your job than what you were, but you're not. And a lot of people have hard feelings for guys that are just good at their job, that are just better. Justin Herbert is better than 90% of the football players that have that have come through the NFL. It just is. Look at the... If we're talking about just pure talent, yes, he is. And I believe those TV people who played football that weren't very good, that were in and out of the league pretty fast, if they were honest and they weren't on the TV and weren't putting on an act, they'd probably agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't very good. Justin Herbert's better than me. I'm just a, I'm just too much of a bitch to admit it on TV. I mean, there there were a lot of people this week, and I, and I can't even can't even put it in the correct words that were just they couldn't handle themselves this week. They won't say it out loud, but they were dying inside. They were dying inside that the Chargers hired Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he's going to put together a really good coaching staff. I mean, I'm looking at some of these D coordinator options. I mean, there's a lot of great options. I mean, there's Jesse Minter from Michigan. He's the leading candidate. It looks like from reports that he's told um, folks that he's going to leave Michigan and be the D coordinator of the Chargers. And this is a great move. I mean, this is a guy that has experience with the Ravens. He's been with NFL programs before. He understands how defense is supposed to be played. Not the way we've been seeing it with Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn. When you had the Gus Bradleys of the world coaching defense. Then you had... Brandon Staley come in, Mr. Wonderboy Genius himself, who had this stupid scheme. Still don't know for sure if he actually was the D coordinator of the of the Rams. I don't know. I don't remember him. I really don't. And why a team would hire him to coach their defense is beyond me. But hey, knock yourself out. Go get drunk on Brandon Staley and come back and tell me how it how it plays out for you 
let me know how it turns out. Because I am pretty confident you're not going to like it. I mean, Jesse Minter, if he can come in and get this defense organized, bring in some guy, get rid of the bad apples, get rid of Joey Boza. Like, I've said it over and over again. Joey Boza needs to go. He needs to go. And that's one of the players when Jim Harbaugh's analyzing this roster where he needs to be like, ooh, hmm, Joey Boza, you're making a lot of money. You're making a lot of money to not be doing a lot. Because what's the book on Joey Boza? He's either hurt or he's not putting in the work. He's not putting in the effort. He's not a winning player. There's been, what, two games a season with Joey Boza where I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. The fact that we've been resorted to watching Joey Boza having only two decent games a year, and we're excited about that, that's pathetic. I mean, Joey Boza has been pathetic pretty much his entire tenure with the Chargers. And I don't give a damn what anyone says. I don't care what the numbers say. When I watch him on the field, he doesn't have a winning impact. He just doesn't. And we're paying this guy $36 million this upcoming season and $32 million. No, sir. I'm, I mean, unless Jim Harbaugh can light a fire underneath him and Joey Boza is going to be the real Joey Boza, the Joey Boza everyone thought we were going to get in the draft when we thought we were going to get a wrecker, a game wrecker. No, we got a bump on a log, a hump on a log. Who doesn't do anything? I mean, his only highlight of the year on the field was against the Titans, and that was all the way in week two. And then the next thing you know, he's eating a bunch of uh, raisins up in the box, injured again. And then when he's not doing that, he's slamming his helmet on the field, getting 15-yard penalties or bitching about his contract. And I've said it over and over again about, uh, about Joey Boza. He's not a winning player. I don't believe he cares enough about playing football. I don't think he does. He's, he's not shown me enough evidence to where I can sit back and say, you know what, Joey Bose is the kind of player I want on my defense. He's the type of player that, that you know what, I want him to go take over the game. Now, all these people on TV, I mean, I, I hear it on BSPN and FS0. I hear about all these TV people that, who talk about the game, who are experts, and they say that Joey Bose is really, really good. And I'm like, what the hell are you watching? We're not watching the same game. Joey Boza is not not good. He's just not. Like, sure, the talent, the potential's there, but is he worth thirty six and thirty two million? Like, if you believe that, then you're just a joke. No, no way in hell, he's worth thirty six and thirty two million right here, right now. No, he's not. No way. No way. I mean, good grief. He's not even in the same stratosphere as his brother. 
I mean, this is not, I mean, like, let's make sure we're not getting confused. This is not, like, Joey Boza is not Nick Boza. They have the same last name, but they are not the same player. So let's don't trick ourselves into thinking Joey Boza is some game wrecker. No, he's not. Eric Kendricks, audios, he needs to go. Thule, he I've said it over and over again. He's a foundation piece. He's still cheap. You have Henley. We'll see. We didn't get to see a bunch of him this season. We'll see what Jim Harbaugh thinks of him. Derwin James. Listen, I, I get it. He's one of my favorite players. He's one of the few guys on this defense that actually brings his A game. That brings some type of physicality to the game. And I've appreciated all that. I honor all of that. But this idea that we're going to pay him $19 million, 23 and $24 million over the next three seasons for what he's brought to the table. And, quite, and I hate to say it, he wasn't very good last season. Because there were games where he was a non-factor. I mean... Against the week one against the Dolphins, non-factor. Titans, non-factor. Vikings game, couldn't find him. Cowboys game, couldn't find him. Chiefs game, couldn't find him. Lions game, nowhere to be found. Packers game, no. Ravens, no. Patriots game, couldn't find him. I couldn't find him the whole season. I mean, he looked good against the Bears, Jets. The first game against the Raiders, I, I mean... He's not the player he used to be. And we need to have a conversation on, on what his status is going to be going forward. Can Jim Harbaugh and Jesse Minter, can they trust him going forward to be the player that he's shown flashes to be, which is a hard-hitting safety? And I get it. He hasn't had any help his ent- entire career, and he's had injuries. You know, I, I and and that's completely fair. And I, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that's not the case. But also, what needs to be noted is he's just wasn't very good. I mean, there's like like three or four, two or three or four games where he was somewhat decent, and that's not a good sign when you got to owe him 19 million, 23 million, and 24 million. I mean, it's not an ideal situation to be in. So we got to make a decision on him. And then also, this is a contract year for Asante Samuel Jr. I believe Asante Samuel Jr. is still talented. The talent's there. Like in 2022, heading into that playoff game, the infamous playoff game, I'm not going to talk about it. He was playing really good. And he was a superstar in that wild card game. He was a legend. If he, like, if he would have won the game, he would have been a legend. Instead, he came into this season and was not very good. Now, granted, the old defense wasn't shambles, but Asante Samuel Jr. was getting shredded all over the place. So he had something to prove. From a defensive standpoint, a lot of these guys have a lot to prove. And then, of course, you have the Clay Mack 
discussion. Do we bring back Khalil Mack? And I get it. Khalil Mack had a great season. You know, he went out there and had a whole bunch of sacks. Played well. I mean, he dominated the Raiders game. What what was it? Six sacks? Seven sacks? I forget what it was off the top of my head. He had a great season. If you were to look at the stat sheet and look up Khalil Mack, he had a hell of a season. He had a hell of a season. I mean, he was up there for, for, for defensive player of the year. I mean, he was a candidate. He had no business winning it because the defense overall was garbage. But to say that Khalil Mack didn't have a great season would have been like it would have been wrong. I mean, 17 sacks is not anything to sneeze at. That's not what I'm doing here. But let's make sure we pump the brakes. Because prior to this season, I mean, like, he didn't take off until week four. Because weeks one, two, and three, nowhere to be found. I mean, he exploded in the Raiders game, which, and listen, great job. Good. But am I willing to commit $38 million this upcoming season for Khalil Mack, who is up there in age? Fair or not, and I know people don't want to get into this, but he's getting up there in age. That's a legitimate point to bring up. Do you want to commit all this financial resources to a guy that is up there in age? Do you really want to? Like, do you really want to do that? If you're a smart franchise, you want to win games, $38 million to Khalil Mack, I don't know about that. Because you're taking a huge gamble. You're taking a big risk. You're jumping to a conclusion that he's going to be the same type of player that he was this season. That he's going to go out there and have 17 sacks this season. I don't know about that. Like that to me is hard to believe. That is. That to me is not realistic. Like anyone that's looking at the Chargers. That's looking at Khalil Mack and what his outlook looks like. 17 sacks to me is just not on the table. Like, you're not going to tell me a 33-year-old, you're not going to convince me that a 33-year-old linebacker is going to flip the switch and be a game wrecker. 17 sacks, like, that, that, like he's not repeating that. Can you stop it? Just stop it. So, we have to make some decisions. And Khalil Mack is one of those. Joey Boza, he's a major decision. And what the good teams do, and this is what Jim Harbaugh brings to the table, is about drafting. It's about bringing in coaches, assistant coaches, that can enhance player development. Like, the Harbaugh family, they have a lot of connections. They have a large coaching tree. 
Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley, they don't have a coaching tree. You freaking kidding me? They don't have a coaching tree. I mean, what? Brandon Staley's deep connection with Joe Lombardi? Are you serious? No chance. We are going to have a real coaching staff. And when you look, and when you look at the offense from a financial standpoint and, and from a talent standpoint, there's a lot of players that need to be looked at. And also, who are we bringing in to be the offensive coordinator? Now, hopefully with Jim Harbaugh coming in, and this has been my other point of emphasis, is that Justin Herbert has not had any consistency at the offensive coordinator position. He just hasn't. I mean, we've had Shane Steichen his rookie year in 2020, which was when, from from a stats standpoint, Justin Herbert was at his best when the offense was orchestrated in a way that made sense. They were throwing the ball deep. There were bombs away. They were making plays. Then they bring in Joe Lombardi, and it's like, uh, I don't know. Kind of a weird fit. The offense did not fit the players that they had on the roster. They tried to be an outside zone team when you don't have a running back that can really do that. And then the rest of it was, all right, Justin Herbert, you know, make do with these passing routes. You know, running stick every other play. Throwing it up deep to Mike Williams, who's not a burner. You have no speed on this offense. Can't run the ball. Figure it out. Then you bring in Kellen Moore. I thought it was going to work better than what than what it ended up being. I mean, obviously the injuries, offensive line issues, Corey Lindsey goes out of an injury. It all fell apart. Like, it just all fell apart. The whole thing fell apart. And quite frankly, I, like, I wasn't impressed with Kellen Moore. Like, Kellen Moore did not knock my socks off. He didn't, he, like, I was like, eh, this is it. Like, no wonder the Dallas Cowboys, who are a dysfunctional, giant mess, they get all the TV hype, they get all the t- media attention, but they're a mess. They let Kellen Moore walk out the building and didn't even sweat about it. That should tell you something. If the Dallas Cowboys, who bring back Mike McCarthy after getting out, getting blown out in a playoff game, they let Kellen Moore go. Like, Kellen Moore was in the building, and they said, Adios. See ya. And this past season, I wasn't impressed. Couldn't run the ball. They ran the ball the first game down the Dolphins' throat, and then they couldn't do it the rest of the year because the O-line wasn't consistent. They weren't tough enough. I mean, so, like, when you're looking at some of these candidates, they got Greg Roman, and I know people bashed the Ravens' passing game the last couple of years, but, and listen, then this is not an insult. This is not an insult to Lamar Jackson, who's most likely going to win MVP, but if we're going to be honest and have an honest discussion about the quarterbacks in this league, Justin Herbert's a much better passer of the football. 
than Lamar Jackson. That's just a stated fact. But when you look at the Ravens' run game with Greg Roman, they were top five in the league every year. They were tough on defense, and they could run the football. Two things the Chargers were bottom five in the league in. With Jim Harbaugh, Greg Roman, let Justin Herbert bring in Pep Hamilton as a quarterback's coach, you'd be fine. That would be a great fit. I would be fine with that. Well, I mean, don't get it twisted. I mean, I, I'm no way the biggest Greg Roman fan on the planet. But with Jim Harbaugh leading the way, I'm going to trust his decision-making a heck of a lot more than Brandon Staley or Anthony Lynn or Mike McCoy or John Spanos making a decision. I would definitely go with that. Then, of course, you have the other option here. The second option is Drew Terrell, the Arizona Cardinals passing game coordinator. He's done wonders. I mean, this past season, what he did was impressive. I mean, like what he did with Joshua Dobson when um, Kyle Murray came back, that offense started to take over. And then you know, this guy's been around with Jim Harbaugh for a long time. He was, he, he was with them with, the, with Stanford. I mean, he's a young coach. I mean, everyone's been hyped. I've heard I've heard his name a few times been brought up, and he's an, a young, innovative, offensive guy that could work well with Justin Herbert. If you want to go that route. Then you have Pep Hamilton, as I brought up. He coached Justin Herbert in 2020. He was his quarterback's coach when Justin Herbert took the league over out of nowhere I mean he came in on fire and Pep Hamilton and listen uh, and, and he's been on a few different coaching staffs I get it but the guy everywhere he's been his quarterbacks always play better he, he he's familiar with with, with Jim Harbaugh He's been with him at a few different places. He's been with him in college. He's been with him in, in the NFL. And also bringing back a guy and Pep Hamilton, who Justin Herbert's familiar with, is a big deal. That's a big deal. Because one of the issues, one of the biggest misses the Chargers have been involved in is changing over the offensive coordinator position over and over again. That's the downside to having a limited coaching tree with a first-time head coach and a defensive-minded coach. Jim Harbaugh played quarterback, but he loves defense and offense. He loves tough-nosed football. Replacing a coordinator is going to be much easier with with Jim Harbaugh than it was with Brand Staley when it was a full-on national search. It was a full-on international event trying to find a coordinator. And then you end up with guys like Joe Lombardi and overpaying for Kellen Moore. That's what happens. So, getting the coordinator, getting the quarterback coach correct 
is important. And then also you have David Shaw. He's another candidate who I would not mind. He's very, very good at what he does. Did a damn good job at Stanford. Kept that train rolling for what? Eight more years after Harbaugh left? Ten more years at a pretty good level? I mean, we're talking about Stanford. It probably didn't end very well, but we're talking about Stanford. This is not, you know, the top-notch football programs. This is not Georgia. This is not Ohio State, Michigan. This is freaking Stanford. Not USC, Stanford. And everywhere Jim Harbaugh has been, everywhere his assistant coaches have been, they win. And bringing in a winning mentality is very, very important. And also, you're not playing the game of, well, maybe this will work. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. That's the risk you took with these first-time head coaches. Eric B. Like, you know, I heard all these names like Eric B. Enemy and, you know, Brian. Brian Johnson or whatever the heck his name is, the Lions coordinator and, you know, all these other first-time head coaching options. Raheem Morris, he's been a, he's, he's recycled. No, you're, you're taking a chance on a product. I wasn't interested in Bill Belichick. I wasn't interested in three years and five, seven wins a season and, you know, just ruining the franchise for a guy that doesn't have his fastball anymore. He's not the same type of coach. I don't care what anyone... I don't... I mean, listen. I understand he has six Super Bowls. What he did was amazing. Spectacular. All-time great. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and disrespect Bill Belichick like that. But this make-believe story that, yeah, he would have come into the Chargers organization and turned around this franchise is really funny to me like it's really funny to me like really no way no way in the world Bill Belichick would have been a good choice like you would have ruined the franchise 10 more years you would have brought in Josh McDaniels you would have brought in his crew his people and it would have been a mess a guy that can't draft, a guy that can't find an offensive coordinator, that put Matt Patricia, who can't even coach defense, which is supposed to be his side of the football he's an expert in. He was horrendous at it. You put him as the quarterback slash offensive coordinator? That's pathetic. Just, like, Really? And people wanted the Chargers to hire that guy, to hire that clown. I'm not. I don't want freaking Matt Patricia or Bill Belichick. So, so that wasn't an option. We got the best possible option. We got the best possible option. And I get it. The cap situation is not ideal. Guess what? No company, no team is going to be in a perfect situation. Like, that idea is just fantasy world nonsense. That's not the way the real world 
operates. Not everything is going to be perfect. So there will be some decisions that have to be made. If the Chargers let go of Joey Boza, if Jim Harbaugh looks at him and, he, and, and, and he's like, wow, ugh, I don't know. Not sure about that guy. Not sure about Joey Boza. And when he, when he looks at the offense and he says, yeah. Austin Eckler. Hmm. Talked a whole bunch of smack. I need to be the highest paid running back. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, oh, that's all you heard. Remember when the running backs went on a strike? They said, we're not going to play anymore. It's running back. You get, and listen, I'm not saying it's fair or not, but it comes with the territory. When you sign up for football, running back, that position, you you, you don't really stick around too much. Like, you're not going to play forever. What, what, like, the average lifespan is, what, two and a half years? You get head harder. You knew that coming in. It's not a surprise. No one made it up on the fly. No one changed the rules. Let's just be objective. Austin Eckler was not good. And I said, that's why you don't overpay for running backs. Because I had idiots on social media saying, or on TV, I mean, it was all over the place. Oh, you got to pay... Austin Eckler, he's a top 10 running back. How could you not pay him? You got to pay the guy what he's worth. He was crap this past season. Austin Eckler was garbage. Who would have known a seven-year running back would have hit the wall? Who called that? Who would have seen that coming? I mean, seriously. I mean, like, people were losing their damn minds. Like, like, people were just losing it. Like, people forgot how football worked. Like, Austin Eckler, this past season, the year before, he had over 1,000 yards. He had, like, 900 yards. He had, like, 17 touchdowns. This season, in 14 games, he had 628 yards, 3.5 yards per carry, five touchdowns. Is that good? And the guy, like, every time he ran... Every time he got in the open field, he looked like he had a piano on his back. He didn't look good. He did not look good. And people were trying to trick themselves in the thinking that, yeah, he can still play. Yeah, Austin Eckler, yeah, he, he, been in the league seven years, let's forget that. He can still play, though. I mean, it was just stupid. I mean, it was just stupid, stupid nonsense. I mean, the amount of work people did to trick themselves into believing that Austin Eckler could legitimately be and remain a top-tier running back in this league is the biggest bunch of BS on the planet. Anyone that believed that is a, is a fool. Is a fool. You don't overpay for running backs. You just don't. So, no, I don't want him back. I don't care. I don't care what he wants. He talked himself out of the deal with what he did at the Super Bowl last year. And everyone was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, Austin Eckler, you, you stand up for yourself. You stand up for yourself. Stand up for running backs. Yeah, throw Justin Herbert under the bus. Yeah. 
mean, you had all those TV people jerking off saying, oh, oh, yeah, Austin Eckler's exposing the truth about Justin Herbert. Seriously? No, he wasn't. He wasn't, he wasn't exposing anything. He was exposing how shitty of a teammate he was. If you were all in a winning player, you don't go on TV and say any of that. And everyone was like, oh, you're just overreacting. No, 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 no. I wasn't overreacting. I was just stating another fact. Like I always do. I called it from the beginning. I said it. He's not a winning player. He's going to hit a wall. He's heading in the year seven at, a run- at running back. A position that that just deteriorates very quickly. That guys, once you hit a wall, there's no coming back. And what happened? Huh. Just saying. He hit a wall and wasn't the same player. And people were trying to truck themselves into believing otherwise, which was really weird. It was very odd to me the amount of mental gymnastics that were taking place. Austin Eckler, Jim Harbaugh, when he looks at, hmm, should we bring him back? No. His production nosedived from 2022 to 2023. And that's a fact. That's a fact. And Austin Eckler's a great, or was a great pass catcher you know, in the backfield. He can put him at wide receiver slot. He was good at that. Really good. Damn good. One of the best in the league. I'm not going to pretend he wasn't good at that, but not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, can we stop it? I mean, let's just stop tricking ourselves. This is the problem. Good football programs, good football franchises, well-run franchises don't stick around with players that are washed, okay? That's how you're supposed to operate. I know Austin Eckler is a fan favorite. Good. He can't play anymore. He's not the same player. So, no, he should not be back. No, we should not make him the highest paid running back in league history. No, no, no. Isaiah Spiller, he's on contract for a few more years. Quite frankly, I don't know. I have no idea. Because with the previous coaching staff, he never got on the field. So, I don't know how good he is, how bad he is. I have no idea. Joshua Kelly, no, he's good. Elijah Dodson, he's still on the books, but he was cut at the end of the uh, at the end of last season. So I don't know how good he is. He looked good in the preseason, but can't say much. He never played any in the regular season, so I have no idea. But when it comes to running back, you can draft or you can bring in guys on, on a cheap deal and get away with it. If you have a defense, uh, if you have a decent offensive line, you don't need a grand like like you don't need to go out and get Derrick Henry. You don't need to because it's not necessary. You don't need it. You can win Super Bowls with average running backs. Go look up the last couple of years and Super Bowl and with Super Bowl teams and the running backs they had. You're talking about guys like Cam Akers. Sony Michelle, Isaiah Pacheco, Daryl Williams. I mean, like who? Who? 
You're like, what? Who's this guy? What team is Cam Akers on now? Sony Michelle? He's oh wait, he's retired. Huh? Oh. Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, you don't need to pay for a running back? Exactly. You don't need a big time running back. This isn't Emmett Smith territory. Like you don't need an Adrian Peterson. You don't need it. And first off, we don't even like those type of running backs don't even exist anymore. Like the last one we had was Derrick Henry, and he's hit a wall because it's it's a tough tough position to play. I mean, you're talking about a position where you get run into a wall week after week, game after game. That that that's gonna build up over time. Let me look at my guy Cam Newton. He pretty much was a running back. He played like one. He ran over guys, took hits out of the league. Like, just like that, he was not the same player. Keenan Allen, we owe him $34 million. Do we bring him back? This Jim Harbaugh, and I get it. Keenan had a great season this past season. But does Jim Harbaugh look at him and be like, eh. $34 million, up there in age, a wide receiver, 12th year in the league. Hmm. Do we bring him back? Do we pay him 34 Can he take a cheaper deal? If not, then see ya. Mike Williams. We owe him $32 million this season. And listen, I, Mike Williams is a really good player. Issue with him is injuries. Injuries. Injuries have... Made his career not what it should have been. Like, we've had moments where, wow, he looks really, really good. He pops off for, you know, over a thousand yards, racks up touchdowns, makes big plays. I mean, like, the talent's there. He can definitely take over a game. The issue is he's hurt and he's not fast. He's a physical receiver, but if he's not catching jump balls, 50-50 balls, he's not really making an impact. So we have to sit back and ask ourselves, do we want him back? Do we want to pay Mike Williams $32 million? Quentin Johnson, rookie, top the top, the top receiver drafted. The first receiver picked in the draft was an absolute joke last season. He still has three more years left on his rookie contract. And I know it's mean. It's considered mean to do this. And I know people say that, you know, you can't just throw a guy under the bus after his rookie season. But we are talking about a wide receiver that was the first receiver, as I said, picked in the draft. And he was terrible. He was horrendous this season. He played in all 17 games, 431 yards, two touchdowns, 67 targets, 38 catches. Not good enough. That's not good enough. I mean, the guy was a drop machine. Could have won the game at Packers 
had the ball in his freaking hands. The ball hits him both hands. And everyone's trying to make excuses for him while the sun was in his eyes. You're a professional football player. Catch the fucking football. Catch it. Why is that so hard? No excuses. If you can't catch the ball, if you can't show up and do your job, then get out of here. If Quentin Johnson doesn't put in the work this offseason, he should he, like he should have never stopped. He should still be practicing. He needs to get out there and get better. If not, then get out. Then what are you doing? You're a waste of space. If Jim Harbaugh steps in and sees that he's not very good, then get him out of here. I don't care. If you can't play, I don't want you here. If you don't have a winning attitude, then get out of here. Joshua Palmer, one year left in his contract. He's a good, decent receiver, but he's a third wheel kind of guy. He's never going to be a superstar, but he can make, but he can, in a third wheel role, a third place role, he's pretty good. He's what you would want. So I would consider bringing him back, but it wouldn't be the end of the world if you don't. Darius Davis, a speedster. One, he was late listed as the best special teams returner in the league. He's a weapon. I believe that Jim Harbaugh and whoever he brings in at coordinator can play with. For some reason, Kellen Moore was just, he just never wanted to embrace Darius Davis. And I believe some of that was Brandon Staley interfering with the offense wanting the offense to look a certain way. And that did not turn out very, very well, obviously. I, I believed he wanted the team to have an identity, and it never worked. You can't do that. You have to let your coordinators do their job. Darius Davis never got on the field. He never got on the field. Like, I, it, it drove me up a wall. I don't know why, because the dude's a, like he's a burner, he can burn people, and we were just we just refused to put him on offense. And when we put him on offense, it was in the worst, the worst possible plays on this planet. So he'll be back. Tight ends, we have to figure that out. Donald Parham, Stone Smart, Gerald Everett. With all due respect, you're not good enough. There's Brock Bowers in the draft. Do we go that route? Do we draft a receiver? Or is it a defensive player? Who knows with the draft as we get as we get closer and once this um and once this coaching staff is sort of filled out and once we get a better picture of who's gonna be here, then we can determine who we're gonna draft. But tight end should definitely be in the mix because Donald Parham has, what, one or two good games a year and good games as in scores a touchdown. Stone Smart showed potential, but was never on the field enough for me to be like, yeah, you know, he's pretty good. I don't really know. Like, I can't really give an honest assessment of how good Gerald Everett is. I don't know. I have no idea. So, 
He shouldn't be back. Stone Smart shouldn't be back. The offensive line, you've got to get this correct. Justin Herbert was smacked around all season. They got a draft. I mean, like, I don't know what it is. They have to find someone in free agency or draft or reshuffle the offensive line because Corey Lindsay's gone. He retired. He had a health issue. And he made that offensive line work because the second Will Clapp came in, and I predicted this immediately, the offensive line was going to be a disaster. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, was the offensive line a freaking disaster. With Will Clapp at center, the offensive line was pathetic. It was pathetic. Like, anyone that has any other take on the offensive line, what are you watching? Because that offensive line was atrocious. No franchise quarterback should be placed behind that off like an offense like if you if your team walks into a game with Trey Pipkins, Zion Johnson, Jamari Sawyer, and Will Clapp on the offensive line, your alarm bells should be going off. That is a horrible, horrible, just pathetic situation to be in. Like Will Clapp at center, like I could get past him, and I'm being dead serious. I'm being dead serious. He was horrendous. We've got to build some depth on the offensive line, and, and I understand offensive line play throughout the NFL is not great across the board, but it was extra, extra terrible. This past season with the Chargers. It was horrible. Like, it was horrible. There was nothing good about it. The only guy on the offensive line that should be worth keeping is Rashawn Slater. Now, maybe, and this is what we also got to take into account. A lot of these guys with the with the Anthony Lynn era, the, the backside of it, and Brandon Staley, they never got real coaching. Like, you had a pathetic coaching staff, coaching these guys. So, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying Trey Pipkins can't play. Now, now granted, in order to get the contract he got, $15 million, which makes me want to throw up in my mouth, he had a minim, like he had a very minimal bar to reach. It was not like he met these insane expectations. It was minimum. It was minimal stuff. He did the bare minimum to get a contract, to get a second contract, and we gave him 15 freaking million dollars to suck. In 2021, he played good. 2022, he was good. But this season, uh, wow. It was really bad. Zion Johnson, same thing. Not good. He took a major step backwards. And then Jamari Sawyer... And I saw this coming before the season. Everyone said, oh, man, this seventh-round pick is really good. Did you know that? Uh, the dude this season got exposed. He got exposed. He got, he, he got ripped apart all season. And even Rashawn Slater in that first Broncos game, he got destroyed. The game that got, um, the game that got Justin Herbert killed, 
that knocked out his season. Rashawn Slater was horrendous. So there needs to be a revamp of the, of the offensive line. We'll get a better coach in there. And hopefully the Chargers, hopefully we can get this turnaround. Because don't get it twisted. There needs to be some difficult um, decisions made. And I trust Jim Harbaugh and, and whoever the and, and however this coaching staff looks, I trust them and, and their decision making a heck of a lot more than Brandon Staley, Mike McCoy, or Anthony Lynn, because in the AFC alone, you've got a deal of teams like the Bills, you got a deal of teams like the Ravens, the Texans, the Chiefs. You've got to deal with teams like that. And with the Chargers in our division, if we can get our change our mentality, bring in guys that want to be physical, that want to try hard, that, that, that want to do their job, which was the most important factor. Don't just don't just hand out contracts just because you like someone. You want to bring in guys that can actually play. No more J.C. Jackson signings. No more of that. Like the the days of the Chargers being known as a rental, a vacation rental. It's over. It's over. We're not doing it anymore. It's a new era. A new era. Bills, Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, Texans. Chiefs, all the teams that made the playoffs in the AFC, watch out because here we come. We're coming. We are coming. Whether you like it or not, here we come. Sports media, be triggered. Like, be triggered. Be triggered. I'm here for it. Like, I am all here for it. The watch. The sports media melt. Just melt when they start watching the Chargers coming up in September. Here we come. We are on the way. And people and teams in this league will have to see us. They will have to see us. And they will deal with a Chargers team. That is physical. That is physical, tough, and brings a mentality that is a part of a winning culture and contributes to championship Super Bowl football. Alrighty, so switching gears now to the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks... They fired head coach Adrian Griffin earlier this week. And Doc Rivers steps in. And, you know, before the NBA season, and especially after Damian Lillard was unfortunately traded to the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, instead of the Miami Heat, because the Blazers were being a pain in the ass, you know, 
I don't know what got into them. I've talked about this before. The Trailblazers were over their head. They thought they were the big guy in the room. It's like, stop it. Stop it. Know your place. The Milwaukee Bucks firing Adrian Griffin was not surprising. And I picked the Bucks before the season to win the championship. And they are 32-14. and 14, Second overall in the Eastern Conference. And their offense per game leads NBA. 125 per game. But their defense, it is garbage. Objectively, it's garbage. 120 points a game on average given up. That's horrible. That's why Adrian Griffin was fired. There's two reasons why he was fired. The first one, defense. Just like, like if we're going to sit here and be honest and give an honest opinion about the Milwaukee Bucks, the team I chose to win the championship, because you're not going to sit here and try to tell me a team with Damian Lillard and Giannis, the Greek freak, can't win the NBA championship. Like, if you believe that, you're delusional. Like, if you believe they can't come in the Bucks and win the championship, like, what are we doing? Because, this, like, despite all of the defensive failures this franchise or this team has faced this season, and they've had a lot of them, and, like, we're talking about giving up 142 points to the Kings, giving up 135 to the Pistons, 116 to the Cavaliers who are teetering. They gave up 112 to the Rockets, to, to the baby Rockets, 121 to the Spurs, 116 to the Jazz, 130 to the 142 to the Pacers. Like when you need to score 141 points to beat the Detroit Pistons, who are the worst team. Probably in NBA history from a record standpoint. Now, I understand you got the Bobcats who were bad one year where they have like seven wins. The Pistons are right there. And the fact that they have to outscore teams every game in order to win, like last night against the Pelicans, 141-117. Hey, looks like a blowout, but no. You needed 141 to beat the Pelicans, and they needed every damn point. Giannis had 30 points, and they needed every bit of it. Like, Giannis and Dame are having outstanding seasons. Like, they're having career number. Like, Dame's doing what he does, but Giannis is on another level. Their offense is, by without question, the best in the league. They've got to figure out the defense, and that's why Adrian Griffin was fired, because they were not connecting on the defensive side of the basketball. That's a problem. Because come playoff time, when you go up against teams like the Miami Heat, who will be in the in the playoffs, when you go up against teams like the 76ers, you have Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. I talked about them before. They got to show up too. The Knicks, they're a dangerous team. They had a great win yesterday against the Miami Heat. Got the Pacers, they're dangerous. They added Pascal Siakam a couple weeks ago. 
they're going to be explosive on offense. They, they have a bad defense, but they're explosive on offense. The Miami Heat, as I mentioned, they're always dangerous come playoff time. You know, they kind of relax during the regular season. They kind of coast during the regular season. But come playoff time, you have to watch out for Jimmy Butler. You have to watch out for Bam Adebayo. And I believe Terry Rozier will fit in. You know, it, it takes a while for, you know, the, to fit new guys into the system. But those are teams the Bucks will have to deal with. Because, you know, and, and people can say, oh, well, you know, we can dismiss the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat were garbage. They were a dead man walking heading into the play-in tournament, and they got to the freaking NBA Finals. So, yes, the Miami Heat are definitely still a threat. And I believe the Bucks, from an offensive standpoint, are definitely talented enough to win the NBA championship. Like, they are at the point to where they could be in the conversation from an offensive standpoint of being with the 2017, 2018, 2016 Golden State Warriors. And yes, I said it. Now, it doesn't look the same because it's more of a two-man show with Dame and Giannis, but it's right up there. It's right up there with Kyrie and LeBron. It's right up there with some of these big-time duos and big threes that we've seen. Some of these offensive juggernauts that we've seen in the NBA, they're definitely up there. But defense, defensively, they're horrible. Even the Celtics. I'm not a big Celtics fan. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big Jason Tatum fan. We'll get to him in a little bit. I'm not, a, but they can score points. If if the Bucks are going to come in and give up 120 points a game, give up 131 a game, they don't have a chance then yes, they will fall short of their goal of winning the NBA championship. Because as Pat Riley has routinely said and repeated, no defense, no rinks. You've got to play defense. You've got to play defense. Like, you can pick whatever sport you want to talk about, whether it's football, basketball, whatever. If you can't play defense... You're not going to win championships. Defense matters. Adrian Griffin and the type of mentality that he brought to the table, they were not playing good defense. And that's an issue. If you want to be considered a championship team, if you want to be in the NBA Finals and get past the playoffs, which is a grind, it's the second season from April to June, You've got to play defense. And this team has not been good on defense the entire season. Like, we are more than halfway through the season, and they've been horrendous in the majority of their games. Like, they'll have three games in a row they look good, where they just blow out the opponent. Then they turn around for three straight games and either squeak out victories, shoot out victories, or they get blown off the the, the court. So, yes, they got to turn it around. And the second reason Adrian Griffin got canned is because he's a young head coach. And Giannis and Dame, they won't admit this, 
no superstar, no NBA superstar admits any of this, but those two run the team. They run the team. And and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The superstar players should have a major say in how the team operates. They wanted Adrian Griffin fired. And they wanted him fired back in November, back in December. They wanted him gone a long time ago. Like if Damian Lillard and Giannis had it had it their way, like you can go back and and listen and, and I wasn't really taking it serious because I thought, okay, well, they can get better on defense. And I'll be honest, it's it's not gotten better. It's gone worse. And it's definitely concerning. It's definitely concerning to me that they are this bad on defense. You can't win an NBA championship this bad on defense. And Adrian Griffin, being a first-year head coach, got canned. Because eventually, the ownership of the Milwaukee Bucks said, okay, yeah, you're probably right. You're right. Giannis, you've won an NBA championship before. Dame's been to the conference finals before. Yeah, it's not working. It's not working. And you'd be wasting a great and amazing season from Giannis where he leads... The Milwaukee Bucks in three major categories, points, rebounds, and steals. 31 points a game, 12 rebounds a game, and two steals a game. The Milwaukee Bucks are an NBA championship team. Like, you're not going to tell me Giannis, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Malik Beasley. They, This is a championship team. It's good enough. It's definitely good enough. Now, could they make a move or two to get some more depth? You know, heading into the trade deadline? Sure. Sure they could. And they probably should. And people bring up, well, you know, they got rid of Drew Holiday. That was going to ruin their defense. They should have kept him. Eh. Do you remember Drew Holiday in the playoffs from an offensive standpoint? His numbers tanked. He went, he went from being a 21-point game player, per game player, in the regular season to, what, 15 to 10 points per game in the playoffs? It took a nosedive. And Jimmy Butler, if, for folks that, that don't remember, like a year ago almost, he ate his lunch. He Jimmy Butler ate Drew Holiday's lunch in the playoffs, and people forget that. And people forget that, like, like like they forget it, like it never happened, and it did. So now, looking at Doc Rivers and what he's walking into, and I said it yesterday, I have no problem with Doc Rivers, no issue. I think he's a great coach. I'm just shocked he came, like, I'll be honest, I've heard him on a few different podcasts, I've I've heard him on ESPN doing the games, I thought he was done coaching, like, I was under the impression that Doc Rivers was all in on, you know, being the commentator, being a podcaster, playing golf, 
That's what I thought he enjoyed doing. But no, Doc Rivers, he's going to be the, the Milwaukee Bucks head coach. And his first game will be Monday. So we'll see how, how he does. And this is going to be int- because this is going to go one or two ways. Dog Rivers taking over as the head coach will either be very, very good. It's going to go well. They're going to start winning more. The defense is going to improve. Everyone's going to be happy. Or they're going to come in, the Bucks, and get worse. Or AKA remain the same. The offense is going to be good, and the defense is going to suffer. And also, I know, and I talked about it yesterday, I've talked about it a lot when I discuss Doc Rivers, but the elephant in the room is the blowing playoff leads. The 3-1 the three one leads, the 3-2 leads, the 2-0 leads. We saw it with the Orlando Magic when he had Tracy McGrady. Blew that series against the Pistons up 3-1. Had a chance to slam the door shut on the Detroit Pistons when they were riding high. And they melted down. 3-2 lead against Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. Now, I'm going to get to Kobe Bryant and Jason Tatum in a moment here. Kobe Bryant, the ultimate killer. Rest in peace, the Kobe. The ultimate, just the game game changer, a guy that you want on your team to put a team to bed. Kobe Bryant was that guy. Kobe Bryant was the type of player you wanted. And Doc Rivers in game six and seven melted down. His teams were mentally not good enough in those clutch moments. And we're talking about a team with Rondo, with Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and KG. They broke through in 2008, but in 2009, mm, wasn't good enough. They fell up short. Then he goes to the Clippers in 2015. Rockets, Clippers. The Rockets are kind of done. James Harden just had a James Harden game where he's bitching on the sideline, has a towel over his head. Dwight Howard was a complete disaster. Couldn't do a damn thing right in that series. Was an absolute train wreck. And out of nowhere, Corey Brewer and Josh Smith, who knew, they hit four three-pointers from Corey Brewer and four more three-pointers from Josh Smith. Like, those two were just, they went berserk in the fourth quarter. Like, they just went nuts out of nowhere. And they win the game, and they win the series. And Doc Rivers and the Clippers are left dumbfounded. Like, what? Then you got the infamous bubble 2020. Paul George, Clippers, Kawhi. Double-digit leads going into the fourth quarters. And each of the games against the Denver Nuggets, who were a young team. Jokic wasn't Jokic yet. I mean, he was really, really good. I mean, the casual NBA fans will be like, oh, he was good back then? Yeah, he was. Um, But they got blown out in each of those fourth quarters when they had a double-digit lead. 
Not good. Embarrassing. And then they crap out of the bubble. And then Doc Rivers goes to the 76ers and craps out against the Hawks of Trey Young. Terrible. Now I, I get it. Ben, ben Simmons melted down too. But you let Trey Young walk you down from a 3-2 lead. That's pathetic. And then the year after that, Jimmy Butler punked them out of the playoffs. And then we go to last season when you're up 3-2 against the Celtics. Game 6 at home in Philly. Home court advantage. And you couldn't slam the door shut. Joel Embiid choked in the fourth quarter. James Harden choked in the fourth quarter. Doc Rivers choked in the fourth quarter. And they couldn't get it home. They failed. So, yeah, all right, well... Didn't work out then, but you have a chance. Game seven, solo stage on a Sunday afternoon, Mother's Day, and the Celtics blow the 76ers off the floor. 31 to 10 in the third quarter. Joel Embiid, 15 points. Pathetic. James Harden, oh, nine points. And Doc Rivers made no adjustments. In that series. And that's his biggest problem. If the Milwaukee Bucks didn't get into a close series. With the Miami Heat. In the first round again. Do you trust Dog Rivers? I'm taking Eric Spolstra. And Eric Spolstra. Took. Like he took. Mike Budenholzer's lunch money. I mean Eric Spolstra took everyone's lunch money in the playoffs. Last season. Up until the finals. Until when they went up against just a better team. In the end. But. Doc Rivers in a close series against Nick Nurse. Do I trust him? I don't know. Coin flip. Joe Missoula? I'm not really sure. Because he got. I mean everyone craps on Joe Missoula. And listen I'm not a big Joe Missoula fan myself. I believe he's in a tough situation being with the Celtics. He got kind of thrown into the fire, but Joe Mazzulla beat him in a Game 7. He beat Doc Rivers in a Game 7. He outcoached him. By, but, I mean, it's not saying much, but he did. So the Milwaukee Bucks, they are at a tipping point in their season. I Like I said yesterday... And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by this. I'm going to put a to-be-determined on the Milwaukee Bucks reaching the NBA Finals and winning it. Because I had them winning the Finals over the Denver Nuggets in six or seven games. And right now, I'm not sure. I want to see how the next couple of weeks look. How does the first couple of weeks of the Doc Rivers era look? Will the defense improve? Will the offense get worse? Like if the offense gets worse and the defense keeps getting worse, then that's a terrible sign. But if we see any improvement, that's what we need to look at. Like, I mean, people got to understand this is not Ty Lue. 2016 Cavs, he was already on the staff. Remember David Blatt? The Cavaliers were top three seed. 
Adios. LeBron wanted him out, and he was out. The, the only other example that, or a recent example that I can point to is Quinn Snyder last season, late last season, right before the playoffs, stepping in for the Hawks. So we'll see. Will the message from Doc Rivers, will it get stale? Because we've seen it get stale with the Celtics. We saw it get stale with the Clippers. We saw it get stale in Philadelphia very, very fast. Three short years, boom, out. Will it get stale with the Milwaukee Bucks? We'll find out. Because his last few stops, whatever happens, it gets his message does not get through to guys. Like it gets old after a while. So we will see how Doc Rivers does with the Milwaukee Bucks in the next couple of weeks once Doc Rivers gets his foot in the door and can figure out what's going on with his team. Because right now, their defense is horrendous and it's nowhere near championship-level basketball. All right, so switching gears now to... Jason Tatum and Kobe Bryant. So I've heard over the last couple of years, Jason Tatum this, Jason Tatum that, that he's the next Kobe Bryant. He's his idol. Great story. And listen, rest in peace to Kobe as always, but all time great. And listen, Jason Tatum... Let me make sure my position on him is clear because I think a lot of people believe that I'm a Jason Tatum hater. I'm not a hater. I don't hate anyone. I just give honest opinions about a player and compare to where mainstream sports media puts him at, especially Boston Celtics fans because Boston Celtics fans, and I hear a lot of them, there are a lot of them out there that cover the NBA. They run their traps acting like Jason Tatum's the next big superstar. That the Boston Celtics are going to cakewalk their way to the NBA Finals because they got Jalen Brown. They got Jason Tatum. They got Porzingis. And then also I hear these weird, out of nowhere, out of left field comparisons, Jason Tatum, Kobe Bryant. Did you know that Jason Tatum's the next Kobe Bryant? Uh, really? When we think of Kobe Bryant, what do you think of? What do you think of? You think of Killer Will. You think of a guy that steps on a basketball court and doesn't give a damn about what you think and what everyone else thinks. That's how it works. That's how it worked with Kobe. And sometimes it it worked in his favor and it worked against him. But the guy won five NBA championships walking on the floor and staring down his opponent and being like, this is it. 
This is my challenger. This is my this is my opponent. I'm not afraid of them. Game seven, I don't give a shit. I'm taking the last shot no matter what. If it goes in, great. If it misses, I'm going to live with it. Like Kobe Bryant was mentally tough to be in the situations. Jason Tatum in playoff games, in big time playoff games, outside of facing the mentally weak 76ers, he's not that type of player. He's just not. I mean, I know people say this is unfair to bring up, but let's, let's go down the history list of Jason Tatum, Game 7. At home against the Cleveland Cavaliers, you have a chance to upset the Cavaliers. You have a chance to keep LeBron James, who was in the Eastern Conference before he left for the Lakers, you had a chance to keep LeBron James from the NBA Finals. You had that opportunity. And you showed up in the Game 7. The next Kobe Bryant, mind you, 24 points. 15 points in Game 6. 24 points in Game 5. 17 in Game 4. Not good enough. Not good enough. If he's the next Kobe Bryant, what are you doing? Go out there and make some plays. Not good enough. In 2019, against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I get it, you had the Kyrie fiasco, you had Kyrie opting out for knee surgery, I'm done. That kind of ruined the vibe in the locker room, and they got run off the floor by the Bucks. I mean, it was a five-game, it should have been a four-game sweep, but they got smoked in five games. That was embarrassing, and it was four points from Jason Tatum, five points from Jason Tatum, 20 points from Jason Tatum. That's not very good. 17 points, 14. Mm, nope, not good enough. The next year in 2020, in the bubble against the Miami Heat, it went from 30 points in game one, 21 points in game two, 25 points in game three, 28 points in game four, 31 points in game six. And game six, he wasn't good enough. Jimmy Butler outplayed Bam Adebayo, outplayed Jason Tatum. Because everyone heading in said, oh, well, the Celtics are the more talented team. Okay, sure. On paper, on paper, they're a paper. On paper, they're a better team. And I, I, I love when this happens in sports. The team with all the names on the paper, they're the best team in the league. No, they weren't. The better team that won was the Miami Heat. Then you have the twenty-one, uh, the twenty-one finals run when they faced Golden State. It, I mean, like we had the Golden State Warriors, the Celtics, without Stephen Curry. I mean, without Kevin Durant. There's no more Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's long, long, long away. He's gone. No, there's no reason to be. Terrified of the Warriors. It's Stephen Curry, Andrew Wiggins, who was playing out of his mind. Clay Thompson, who was kind of hanging on back to back knee injuries. And Jason Tatum, in those big moments, in the finals, game one, 12 points. Game two, 28 points. 
Game three, 26 points. Game four, 23. Game five, 27. And game six, when his team needed him the most. Whoa, 13 points. Not good enough. It was horrible. Nowhere to be found. And then this past playoff run, the Boston Celtics. They were the big, bad Celtics. They were going to get to the NBA Finals. They were to cruise their way to the Finals. You know, they had the big win over the 76ers on Mother's Day. He had 51 points in Game 7. When it really had no... Like, the Celtics were the better team on paper. But the 76ers should have won that series. And I said it over and over again. Then we go to the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, the magic carpet ride to Miami Heat. And everyone, everyone on the NBA, on those NBA shows said, the Miami Heat can't beat the Celtics. They have no chance. Jason Tatum's too talented. He's too this. He's too that. Blah, 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 blah. You heard, I heard all the discussions. And what happened? Oh, he melted down. The Miami Heat are up 3-0. Huh? Kobe Bryant would have never let that happen. Kobe Bryant, in the big moments, whether it was against the Celtics, whether it was against the Spurs, pick the series. Pistons, go down the list. The Magic, when they had Dwight Howard, when, when they were flying high, it didn't matter. Kobe Bryant was not scared in the big moments. He didn't always win, but he always made sure to leave his impact on the game. And too often than not, when you look at Jason, listen, the talent's there. Jason Tatum, 25 points a game. I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm just saying I don't want him taking the last shot in a playoff game. I don't trust him in playoff basketball. That's why all offseason, when the Damian Lillard circus was taking place when we were trying to figure out what was going to happen I was like uh Celtics what are you doing pick up the phone and find a way to either get Dame alongside Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to have a big three because you know I, I don't love that I still wouldn't have loved the Celtics chances but I would have loved him a hell of a lot more than what they chose to do which is bringing Porzingis, who's an injury-prone player. Everyone now magically pretends he's not. Now Porzingis is like a monster. He's the next Shaq. Like, what? Where did that come from? Okay. Hmm. Jalen Brown, you pay him over $300 million, the highest-paid NBA player in league history. Is that what he is? Is that what Jason Tatum is? Or is that what Jalen Brown is? Nope. Not even close is Jason Tatum, that guy. If you were to put him in a vacuum and, and compare him to Giannis, who are you taking? I'm taking Giannis. I'm sorry, better player, mentally tougher, big moments. I've seen him do it. I saw him get over the hump against the Phoenix Suns. I physically watched him do it. Jokic, I'm taking Jokic. Better player, mentally tougher, winning player. Big games, I trust Jokic. He's not going to crumble under the playoff pressure like Jason Tatum has. Jimmy Butler, I'm taking Jimmy Butler 
And you can say, yes, is Jason Tatum more talented than Jimmy Butler from a talent, pure talent standpoint? Yes, he is. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that they're on the same level. But if you're going to tell me that they're that, that Jason Tatum's light years better than Jimmy Butler, no. But I'm going to take Jimmy Butler from a mental standpoint over Jason Tatum. Yes, sir, all day and all night. And no one else is convincing me otherwise because I've got to see it from Jason Tatum. So these comparisons to Kobe Bryant, that he's the next this, the next that, the next superstar, I don't buy any of it. I don't buy any of it. Because I got to see it. I, I like This is the way it has to work. I, like, I don't just hand out superstar titles the guys I don't deserve it. Jason Tatum, right here, right now, doesn't deserve that title. He's not a championship player. He's not the next Kobe Bryant, okay? Can we stop it? He doesn't take over games. He needs someone else to carry the burden for him. Because he looks good, and I, and I, and I admit this. And he looks good when when the Boston Celtics are rolling, when they're front running. Jason Tatum looks really, really good to the point where you fall on the floor and you're like, "Whoa, maybe he is a superstar," but he's not. But he's not, and people have to realize that. And until these Boston Celtics fans, these NBA nerds. These NBA fanboys realize that we will continue to have the same discussion over and over again. So Celtics fans get mad at me, but Jason Tatum is not the next Kobe Bryant. He's not a, he's a star, but to say that he's a superstar is simply not true. It's not true. That's not true. So, it's ridiculous. Like, just stop it. Stop this nonsense. Jason Tatum is not the next Kobe Bryant. Their games might be similar. Jason Tatum might want to mimic Kobe Bryant, but from a mental standpoint, no. I'm taking Kobe any day of the week. Alrighty, so switching gears now to Kevin Durant, who made some comments this week about why he isn't in the GOAT greatest of all time conversation. And he said because he joined the Golden State Warriors. And he's 100% correct. Because I said this on my old show. When Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors, he, without question, made the correct decision. From a pure basketball standpoint, which is which, which BSPN and all these networks say that they're all about, that it's, you know, they praise players for going to a winning situation. That's what everyone wants to talk about. Like, we all want to sit here and pretend that's what this is all about Kevin Kevin Durant did that he was with 
stuck with Russell Westbrook, who he clearly didn't want to be with anymore. They've they've been through battles. They've been through playoff battles. They got to the finals together. They got back to the Western Conference finals together. They had tough battles against the Spurs, tough battles against the Lakers, tough battles against the Golden State Warriors, and they came up short. They were up 3-1 against the Warriors. Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson went berserk in games 5, 6, and 7. Russell Westbrook melted like a like a popsicle in, in, in July. It was a mess. He melted down the stretch. Kevin Durant, and, and I'll be real, he didn't play great either. But he was a free agent. He wasn't demanding a trade. He didn't force his way out of Oklahoma City. He didn't pick up the phone like Paul George did. And listen, I'm not trying to disrespect Paul George. I love Paul George. But Paul George, who was also with Oklahoma City at one point, the Thunder, signed a contract extension. And and then the year after, after he celebrated it, said, yeah, I want out. I actually don't like living in Oklahoma City. Huh. Interesting. So Katie goes to the Golden State Warriors. Everyone and their mother. Everyone and their mother ripped Kevin Durant. You would have thought the guy committed international crimes based on the response. People were giving into it. Like, everyone said, he's a coward. He's a snake. He was, you know, he's a cupcake. He's a weak, he's weakly, or he's mentally weak. I mean, it was pathetic. I mean, they were taking personal shots. It was vicious. I mean, ESPN, who comes off as a nice, friendly family network. It's all about sports. They were vicious. They were like, you joined the Golden State Warriors. How dare you? And they ripped Kevin Durant every damn day. And I kid you not, you can go up and look at it on YouTube. You can go look it up on the internet. Every day it was, should Kevin Durant leave the Golden State Warriors? Is Kevin Durant going to go to the Knicks? This happened literally the the week after Kevin Durant signed the Golden State Warriors. People were like, this is going to fail. He's not going to win a championship with the Warriors. And it's like the same shit that happened with LeBron James when he went to the Miami Heat. People said, he's never going to win a championship. He's going to fail. Oh, well, he won a championship. He won a- And yes, Kevin Durant went to the Golden State Warriors no matter what everyone else says. He went to the Golden State Warriors and elevated that team. Because people love to forget this. People love to forget this. The year before, 2016, the 2015-2016 season, the Golden State Warriors had a 3-1 lead on the Cleveland Cavaliers with Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, one of the best duos in league history. The Golden State Warriors could not mess 
with Kyrie and LeBron. They wanted nothing to do with it. Nothing. They couldn't stop. They, they could not beat them. I don't care what anyone says. People can try to trick you into believing otherwise. If both teams would have ran it back and had the same exact teams heading into the 2017 finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers would have won. I don't care what anyone else says because you can tell when watching sports, especially in the NBA, when a team just can't stop another team. The Golden State Warriors in 2016, with that roster, that roster makeup, could not stop the Cavaliers. Like LeBron and Kyrie were cooking them alive. They couldn't stop him. So yes, Kevin Durant going there helped them a lot, and he brought them to places. I don't think, like those two championships, those back-to-back championships they made and the three uh, finals appearances overall, I don't think happen without Kevin Durant. They just don't. Like, I don't even know if they get back to the Western Conference Finals without Kevin Durant. Because teams, slowly but surely, were figuring them out. And the way Kevin Durant was disrespected was sickening. I mean, we're talking about a two-time NBA champion, a two-time NBA Finals MVP, a league MVP in 2014, 14 times he's been an NBA All-Star, two-time NBA All-Star game MVP, Six-time All-NBA first team. Four times on All-NBA second team. Rookie of the year. Four-time NBA scoring champion. And the guy gets shredded like he's some bum. All because he joined the Golden State Warriors. He will never be considered in the GOAT conversation. That's disgusting. And, And I've seen... All the opinions this week. I saw what Kendrick Perkins says. Listen, Kendrick Perkins had a solid career. But he's wrong. He's wrong. And I can see why Kevin Durant doesn't like him. Kendrick Perkins has all these hot takes. It's like, dude, you're the guy's teammate. You act like you're some superstar. With all due respect, Kendra Perkins, you're not a superstar. Kevin, Dur- you, you can never dream of doing what Kevin Durant has done. He elevated the Golden State Warriors. He led them in those series against the Houston Rockets, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. He led them in those series. And I get it, people try to use the argument, well, the Golden State Warriors won a championship after he left. Okay, congrats. So you're going to punish someone for going to a well-oiled machine? Why do we do that? And the same idiots that ripped Kevin Durant back in 2016, 2017, 2018, did their damnedest to shame him in leaving, which they did. They, 
they ripped someone for going to a better situation. Imagine ripping someone for going to a better working environment. That to me is ridiculous. Is that ridiculous? Explain to me the logic where that makes any sense in any field. Like, would you rather work at a mom and pop shop or work at AT&T? Would you rather work at a mom and pop shop or work for Apple or Microsoft? If, I mean, let's be real. Everyone says, oh, yeah, I'm going to do the mom and pop shop. No, no, you're not. Once you see the check, once you see the money, once you see the pay increase, you're going to be like, oh, oh, maybe I don't want to stay at the mom and pop shop. See what I mean? And you can elevate your career. And, and then we want the route instead of saying, oh, wow, this is really cool. Wow, the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. No, instead we want to rip them. Instead, instead we want to rip Kevin Durant. Now, do I believe Kevin Durant will be the greatest of all time? The, my reason for why he's not going to be in it is because there's too many people. There's too many guys in front of him. I mean, it just is. There's just too many guys in front of him. It's not because he went to the Golden State Warriors. I can tell you that much. I can tell you that much. That's not the reason why. I'm not gonna be on like like I'm not gonna come on here and be some punk and say yeah Kevin Durant went to the Golden State Warriors. I'm just so offended. No, I loved it. He should have stayed. I was making the argument on my old show. He should have stayed. Like, he has no reason. Like, vibes in Brooklyn? Why the frick would you sign up for that? That ended up being a mistake. The Phoenix Suns, they're getting better. They're slowly but surely getting better. Is that going to work out? I don't know. It's not been perfect yet. But the... But the like, I always thought beating Kevin Durant over the head for going to the Golden State Warriors, which was a much better situation than being stuck with Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder when your second best player was Andre Robinson. Like, really? A guy that can't shoot? Like, can we not be... Like, we need to learn when we talk about sports or just life in general how not to be dumb. Beating Kevin Durant over the head for joining a much better situation. Like we don't hold like we don't hold it still for LeBron James. People were originally mad when LeBron went to the big three in Miami. I was like, what the hell is the matter of you people? Why would you not want to go to a better situation? And this is a problem we have in society. We love to beat down people when they go to a better situation. It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. It's the most insane thing. It's the most insane action I see people in society engage in, which is ripping someone for going to a better situation. If you do that, you're an idiot. You're a loser. You're a loser. Go look yourself in the mirror. You're the loser for ripping someone for going somewhere better. Kevin Durant's not a loser. You're the loser. You do better. You know what? How about this? If you work at a mom and pop shop and if you get an opportunity to go to a better job, you don't do it because guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure I rip you to shreds and see if you like it. 
Because that's what people did to Kevin Durant. He joined a better situation, a better coaching staff, a better foundation, and he elevated them. Everyone pretends he didn't. Go look at the freaking numbers. Kevin Durant was the leading scorer on that team. And if you watch those freaking games, which I watched every playoff game Kevin Durant played in with the Golden State Warriors, and if he didn't blow his Achilles out, they would have won three in a row. And if Draymond Green didn't call him the B-word, they would have won three in a row. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care. The facts are the facts. And the way Kevin Durant has gotten treated since joining the Golden State Warriors and since leaving is disgusting to me. It's disgusting. And any, and any person that is engaged and ripping him for joining a team is an idiot. Like, I rip guys for their play on the court. I don't... If they want to join a team, a certain team, a better situation that fits them, then fine. Then fine. But you can't have it both ways. You can't rip him for joining Golden State and then rip him for leaving. Just dumb. Just dumb. And and it's, it's driven me up a wall these last eight years ever since that move on July 4th in 2016. And it just drives me up a wall. So, Kevin Durant, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because it's not fair. It's not. Like this, like these low cheap shots that people take, like send his way, it's disgusting. So, all right. So switching gears to our last topic of the day. And, you know, the Lakers got a win last night in a crazy game against the Golden State Warriors. What, two overtimes? And, you know, there's a lot of noise with Zach Levine going to the Lakers. Like, the big, like, every NBA season, there's always that guy or a couple players that are the big names of the NBA trade deadline. There's always that name. One year it was Carmelo Anthony. One year it was Kevin. Well, last year it was Kevin Durant from Phoenix and Brooklyn Nets. And now we have Zach Levine. And Zach Levine has been tied to the Lakers since the beginning of the season. Essentially. Like, we, we've heard all the rumors, and this is where I stand on Zach Levine. If we're going to, I mean, Zach Levine, without a question, can score the basketball 20 points a game for his career, th- four assists, 45%, 45% from the field. Pretty good. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he can't score the basketball. I'm not going to do that. But is he a winning player? When we look at Zach Levine, do we put him in the categories of, yeah, you know what? He's a winning player. Well, let's look at his playoff resume. And it's not very good. It's one win, three losses. 
And his numbers have gone 18, 20, 15, 24. Is that changing life for the Lakers? Is that changing life? No, it's not. And I have said it over and over again. The Lakers probably won't do it. No team in the league probably won't do it. But if the Lakers want to win the NBA championship and be in that conversation in a serious manner, they need to get over themselves and trade for Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, LeBron James would give them a legitimate chance. Adding Zach Levine doesn't fix any of that. Did Andre Drummond work for the Lakers? No. It did not. It crapped out and failed. Zach Levine is a smaller, he's the shooting guard, point guard version, small forward, whatever it means, he changes positions. He's that version of, of Andre Drummond. Good player, but he's not a winning player. He's in the Donovan Mitchell category, but lower. The talent's there. I'm not going to sit here and pretend the talent's not there. But then also, you add ice on the cake. His contract is ridiculous. This season, he's earning $40 million. Do you want to pay Zach Levine $40 million? When his best accomplishment in his career is dunk contest champion? No. The year after that, it gets even better. $43 million? Do you want to pay that? Nope. Zach Levine, $45 million in 2025. Do you want to play that? Oh, then guess what? He has a player option for 2026 at $48 million. Do you want to pay for that? When he's not a winning player? Because, listen, and I get it, Kyrie Irving has a bunch of flaws. You got the vaccine stuff. You got conspiracy theories. You got flat earth, crazy nonsense. You got other controversial stuff. But the guy can win. He's a scoring machine. We've seen him in playoff games take over. We've seen him take over games and win games. We've seen him in the NBA Finals hit clutch shots. Zach Levine, he can score, but a lot of guys can score in the NBA. Can he play well in the playoffs? And in the middle, in the small sample size that we've had, he's not been very good. And I know with the Lakers, he wouldn't be asked to be the superstar, but he the expectation would be that he'd be a third-wheel player. He'd be the third star in L.A., and I don't believe he can live up to those expectations. I just don't see it. I haven't seen any of it throughout his career, and why that would magically change with the Lakers is beyond me. So I'll say it again. I know people are sick of it, but the Lakers need the trade for Kyrie Irving. They just have to. You, you got If you want to maximize your time with LeBron, that's what you got to do. All righty, so swinging it back to the Chargers. Jim Harbaugh is our head coach. It's a brand new day, a new era in Charger football. The Chargers finally hire a head coach. We can legitimately say 
can go toe-to-toe with the big teams in the league. The last couple of hiring cycles of Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley, we couldn't say that. There were a lot of question marks and unknowns, and those question marks and unknowns resulted in nothing good. Jim Harbaugh is the opposite. He brings toughness, a winning mentality, accountability, defense, offense, trenches, going to be tough, tough-minded, no more blowing leads, no more not being prepared to play. If you're not prepared to play, you're, you're going to be out the door. And that's what we need, and that's what I've been banging the table for for the last couple months. We need a coach with the proper mentality, and Jim Harbaugh brings that to the table. So I'm looking forward to it. It's a great new day, and I love seeing everyone from the sports media triggered. That's I, I, I enjoy it. It makes my day. It makes my insides tingle and I laugh because hey what comes around goes around and everyone talked all that smack about us and here come the Chargers here we come alrighty that is it for this edition of opinions all day I will see you guys next time